You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. you're uh, new here, you need to know we're in a series right now called At His Feet. And if you've been here, by way of reminder, a couple weeks ago we were at his feet in faith, or with faith, with uh, Pastor Craig, and then last week we were at his feet and broken uh, with Pastor Nathan. And today we, as you can see from your sermon uh, insert that you have there, we are at his feet and desperate. Now I want to ask you a question as we start here, and I'm going to ask you this question. This is one of those like ironic questions that the pastor asks when he gets up that we all know the answer to as I even ask the question, but I'm still going to do it anyway, all right? Here's the question. How capable of succeeding at everything are you? And we all know the answer to that. We're like, I'm not capable of succeeding at everything. That's, that's the reality. I'm not. I don't know why you're wasting time with this question. The reason I'm asking this question is because we need to ask it of ourselves because we definitely live like we are. In fact, ever since Genesis 3 and the serpent in the garden, mankind has been tempted to think we're smarter than God and that we don't need God's help. And we have been living in this kind of independent, I can make it on my own kind of attitude. Our world is completely bought into this. You don't need help. You can do it. Try harder. It's not true. In reality, we are desperate people. If you think about this week, you may not even know how you got here today. You're just kind of like, yeah, there was so much stress, so much anxiety, so many things going on in my life. I'm, it's a wonder that I wasn't stressed to death. Maybe you're thinking through just the drive here this morning and just, uh, just travel alone. How desperate we are for the Lord to keep us safe. So many other cars on the road. We are a desperate people. You have situations in your life, and I don't mean to sound like the most desperate person in the room, because I know that there are people in here right now who have far greater impressing issues than I might have in my life at this moment. And you're desperate for the Lord. Let's teach each other this morning. Turn to your neighbor and just say, hey, you're desperate. You're desperate. You're desperate. Thanks, Craig. (laughs) You're desperate. We need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of this because the more we understand how desperate we are, the greater we'll grow in our dependence. And today in Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at two people kind of on two different ends of the social spectrum. One's wealthy and powerful and known, and the other person is poor and outcast and ignored. But listen, both of them understood how desperate they really were. Both of them understood how much they needed God's help. Now, maybe even as I use that word desperate, you're still not really buying it. You're kind of like, desperate seems pretty, pretty desperate. I don't know if I'd go that far to say I'm, I'm desperate, but you have some things going on. There's some small things. There are issues you could, you could use a little help with. It'd be great. A little help would be great. All right. Those things probably aren't going to stay little forever, though. Maybe you're here and you're kind of like, yeah, no, I got, some, I got some issues. There's some things going on I would like the Lord's help with. That would be great. Maybe you're here, though, and you're like, was this guy at my house this week? I'm glad I came to church this weekend. Listen, I believe God's word has something for all of us here this morning. Maybe it's to encourage, maybe it's to instruct, maybe it's just to build faith that that in these desperate moments we can trust the Lord. We need this. We need to hear from the Lord. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into our passage. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just confess right now how desperate I am for you to move in this place for these people. God, I have no words of my own that will be of encouraging to them, Lord, but your word, by your spirit, instructing about the truth of who you are and what you have done and how you work, God, would that truth be life to us this morning? Would you instruct us by your spirit, I pray? 
God, I recognize in this room, Lord, that there are desperate people in here who need you. So God, would you encourage them this morning? Would you strengthen their faith, Lord? God, I, I understand that I don't even fully comprehend how desperate I really am. And so would others like myself this morning, would we understand in a greater way how desperate we are and how in need we are of you and your help? And God, would you show yourself faithful to us? And would you get so much worship and glory in that, I pray, in the strong name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, Mark 5, we're going to start at verse 21. Let me read a few verses to us. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell, here's our sermon series title, at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Look at this. And Jesus went with him. Here where we jump into Mark, he is, uh, Jesus is doing his third miracle in a row. Uh, the first miracle happened at the end of chapter 4. You can see it there probably on your page, and he calms the storm. He shows his power over nature, and then the next miracle started at the beginning of chapter 5, and we see Jesus uh, casting out um, demons and a demon-possessed man, and here we see his power over the supernatural. So we've seen power over nature, over the supernatural, and then this morning, this third miracle in a row, we're going to see the power that Jesus has over health and over salvation. This is our God. This is who Jesus is. This is what he can do. In, in whatever the circumstances, he can help. He is the one we need to go to for help. All of these people were desperate. All of them needed help, whether it was the disciples in the boat, whether it's the man with the demon, or whether it's Jairus and the other people we're going to meet in our story today, they needed help. So desperate people do three things. This is what we're going to learn this morning. Okay, here's the first one. This is point number one. God is my helper, and I must ask. As a desperate person, I must understand that God is my helper, but I have to ask. We see this of Jairus here as he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus in verse 22. His little girl is at the point of death. Many commentators uh, refer to this as she was as good as dead. There was nothing else that they could do for her. She was on her last legs. It was her final moments. And here Jairus comes desperate to the feet of Jesus. You got to kind of get yourself into the scene here because this is a pretty big deal. He is a ruler. He has authority. He is powerful. He's well-respected. And now he's coming and he's begging at Jesus' feet. Mark uses the words there in 23, implored earnestly. Implored him earnestly. Again, I want you to kind of put yourself in the scene. I love trying to get our minds to be there with Jesus, right? So Jesus comes ashore. He comes onto the shore. He's been away, and now he's back, and this crowd of people gathers there. Everyone's there. They're all excited. Here he comes. He's coming ashore. They're all gathered around, and then just kind of put on your cinematic minds for a moment as the crowd begins to part, as Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, approaches, and the crowd begins to break apart, and it's like, what's... what's it's Jairus. He's the ruler. What's he going to say? Is he going to confront Jesus about something? Are they going to have an argument? Is he going to, what's going to happen? And Jairus gets to the front and he falls down at the feet of Jesus now, imploring him, begging him, completely desperate because he needs Jesus' help. No one else can help him. For, for the other elites in the crowd, he would have looked kind of desperate, like, oh, Jairus, what are you doing? Come now. Get up. But Jairus understood that only Jesus could help him. 
Spiritual leaders of the day were mostly skeptical of Jesus. They were often cautious. But Jairus, something's happened. He's either heard Jesus or he's heard of Jesus. Something has happened that his faith has been sparked. It's been lit. It's been inspired to trust in Jesus. And now at this moment of most desperation, when he has nowhere else to turn, he goes to Jesus and he falls at his feet completely desperate. Think of this man in his pride. The pride that he had to put aside to do this. He's a man of authority. He tells people what to do. And now he's begging at the feet of Jesus. I think it's interesting how intense and threatening the situation was in Jairus' life before he came to Jesus. There's a lesson just right in that for all of us. His little girl's at the point of death. The old hymn says, Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Why do we wait so long? We need to be people who go quickly to Jesus, who desperately ask for help. Now, he asks for help. He says to Jesus, my little girl, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. Now look at this, beginning of verse 24. This is amazing. There's a lot to learn just right here. And he went with him. How encouraging is that to the desperate people in the room this morning? And he went with him. First thing here, two things out of this little part of 24. Jesus doesn't hesitate to respond to the pleas of the faithful people. Are you faithful? Are you desperate? Go to him. He will respond. Now, Jesus doesn't promise anything here. That's important for us to know too. But look what he does do. He says, or it says, and he went with him. His presence is there. Jesus' presence with us in these moments of desperation when we need help. How encouraging is this to Jairus, right? So he comes to Jesus, he's at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. And so it's kind of like, all right, all right, let's go, let's go. We, we gotta go. Like, my, she's, she's dying, she's sick, and so back through that line, uh, through the crowd, they head off. Jairus so excited because now he has the one who can help him is with him. And he's with him because he went and he asked. He was desperate and he asked. So often we need help. We need the helper to intervene in our most desperate situations, but yet we fail to ask. So often in my own life, I know I've just, I've failed to ask. I've tried in pride. I've tried to do it on my own. We need to ask. We know the old saying, if you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't ask, you won't know. If we're desperate, we got to ask. In 2004, I was very desperate desperate to marry my now wife, Lindsay. And you know, you got to ask, right? So it starts with, I got to sit down with her, her parents, wonderful people, wonderful people, not just because they said yes, but wonderful people anyway. And I asked them, you know, I love your daughter very much. And we had this long conversation and I'd like to marry her. And they said yes. And it was like, all right, okay, we're halfway there. All right. And then, so then I went, sat down with Lindsay and I don't have a picture because that was before cell phones had cameras, so we just, we didn't take one, right? But I asked in that moment, you know that moment of like, oh, it's all on the line, just completely desperate. I need a yes right now. Please, 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 please. And, and she said yes. And she said yes. And you're sitting there thinking, great, you lived happily ever after. Listen, God loves us so much, so much. That in our most desperate moments, he's calling to us to say, come to me. You don't have to be afraid. He can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is our God. 
and he's inviting us to come to him, but yet we don't go so often. We, in pride and in indifference and in thinking that we can somehow figure it out on our own, we refuse to go. It's utter foolishness, especially when he's there, ready, willing. In verse 24, and he went with him, immediately responding with his presence to him. There's some desperate people in the room this morning, and you need to know that even in the valley of the shadow of death, it's like a meadow with Jesus. He's there with you. He's there with you, walking with you, going through it. Jesus immediately responds. Daniel Henderson says this often, God is worthy and we are needy. I want to use that. If you like that quote, you can write it down. God is worthy and we are needy as kind of a jump off to how we actually apply this, how we actually go before the Lord and ask. All right, two things you can write down. When we ask the Lord, we need to start by declaring his greatness. When we go before the Lord in our desperate moments and we ask, we need to declare his greatness. We fight pride and grow our faith when we declare how weak we are and how worthy and how capable and how able and how perfect God is. We grow our faith in that. God is worthy. We need to declare his greatness. And then the second thing is we need to admit our need. So often we, we don't do this. What's the list? We all have it. We all have things that we, if you have something that only God can do, then you've got to ask him for it. You're not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. We've got to go to him. We've got to ask. But that's not how we pray. We pray to God like we're handing a, a shopping list to a loved one who's going out for something. And we're kind of like, hey, if it's convenient, you could swing by and pick these things up for us. That's not how it works. God cares about the things that we're most desperate of our, and he wants us to come to him and plead with him. John Piper says that prayer is not a hotline to call the butler to bring up a pillow. It's for fighting the devil and battling sin. But that's not how we so often pray. We need to be a people who understand how desperate we really are, how much our God loves us, and then go to him in response and say, I need you. You're it and fall at the feet of Jesus. Some of you, again, your situations are great, and I don't mean to make them seem small, but I only mean to help you understand more accurately how much bigger our God is, greater than our biggest worry, greater than our biggest fear. We need to stop trying to take things into our own hands and leave them in the hands of the one who has all things in his hands. We need to be people who understand that God is our helper and we need to ask him. So listen, are you going to do this this week? At the end of the service, we always have people here up at the front who are more than willing to pray with you. And we would love to do that again today. They will be here. But I want to ask you, are you praying about these things? It would be great if for 5, 10, 15, 20, however long, many minutes you need, you stay in your seat today and start today. Come before the Lord in a moment of desperation and say, God, this is it. This is the thing that I can't do anything with, and I need your help. Please, Lord. He cares for you. He loves you. He's shown you his love. And that while you and I were yet sinners, Jesus died on the cross, that we can have life. We're so welcome to his presence. We're so welcome to come and to ask. He will help us. Let's keep going in our passage, verse 24. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, which means they were just kind of pressing all around him. You can imagine, everyone's really excited. The whole crowd from the beach, they're like, Jesus is going to do this miracle. This is going to be fantastic. We all got to get there. We all got to see this. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. 
For she said, if I, even, uh, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving, himself, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Just pause there for a second. Augustine has a quote about this. It's something like, There's a great difference between the press of the people and the touch of faith. All these people gathered around. They're so close, but, but her touch is different. Verse 32, and he looked around to see who had done it. He's kind of pressing the issue. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear, trembling, and fell down before him and told him, look at this, the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus makes it clear here that it is her faith, the truth that she believed about Jesus. That's the important thing here. This is point number two this morning. God is my helper, and I must believe. I must believe. This woman is an example to all of us. This woman has been in very rough shape. You can see there in verse 25, she's been suffering with this illness for 12 years. Doctors had done all that they could. Their, the medical practice then was not what it is at all today, and so much of it was awkward and weird and, and uncomfortable, and so she has suffered much. She's now broke, and she's only gotten worse. And to make matters worse, she's at the opposite end of the spectrum of Jairus. She's not respected. She's kind of outcast. Jairus, who no doubt is walking along with Jesus, and you've got to, again, put yourself there in the scene because he's walking along, and so now Jesus has stopped, and he's having this conversation with this woman, and I can imagine that Jairus is kind of getting a little bit frustrated because he's thinking, you're the one who can help. I'm desperate for you. I need you to come to my daughter. But this girl, this lady, who Jesus calls daughter, is also desperate. She's right there, and she has come, and she is, look in verse 27. It says that she has heard the reports. So we don't even know if she'd ever seen Jesus do any miracles before or heard any of his preaching, but she has heard the reports, and she came up behind him and touched him in faith. She believed in the power and the ability of Jesus. She was desperate. Again, you got to get yourself right there. So she comes up, and, and her faith isn't perfect. There's a little bit of superstition there that she thinks that she can just touch his garment. So she's, she goes there, and she kind of, she's moving through the crowd, coming up behind Jesus. She can see him there, and she's believing in him, and she gets there, and she touches him, and immediately, the verse says, that she felt that her disease was gone. And so you can imagine, she just stops in the crowd. Her eyes begin to fill with tears, and her, her face gets this smile that can't ever be wiped off, and she's just standing there like, Everything I believed about him is true. It's all real. He's healed me. He can do this. Now, at the same moment, Jesus knows that the power has gone out from him. And the word that Mark uses for power there is the word that we get the word dynamite from. And he uses this word because he wants us to know this was no small thing. This is a massive deal. And Jesus, perceiving the power has gone out, he stops and he turns. And again, there's this crowd, and she's probably a little ways back because she was you know, overcome with joy that now she's been healed. And Jesus asked the question, who touched me? Now, I've always kind of wondered, like, why does he call her out like that? I think there's three good reasons. I think the first is that he wanted her to confess that she believed in him to come to him and confess this, and then secondly, that others could hear her confession. How encouraged are we when we hear the testimonies of others? 
And everyone in the crowd is now getting to hear this because you can see there at the end of uh, verse 33 that she explains the whole truth, the entire ordeal of her, of her disease and how awkward that would have been, but she lays it all there before Jesus. But the third reason why I think Jesus calls her out is so he can look at her. He can look her in the eye. And look what he says to her. He says, daughter. <clears throat> Jesus here in this moment of compassion he doesn't say woman, he doesn't say ma'am, he doesn't say miss. He uses the, the word that Jairus used referring to his daughter, except the adult version of that. In love and compassion, he looks at her and says, daughter. You can imagine their eyes meet with the smile on Jesus' face, the warmth of his love. It's okay. It's okay. Maybe the Lord's saying that to some of you this here this morning. Son. It's okay, daughter, I love you. And then he says to her, this daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. There's three things going on there. Her faith has made her well, go in peace, and be healed of your disease. So this is all a result of the faith, faith in Jesus, faith in the one who has done this. It's not his robe, it's, it's him. Now he says, has made you well. When I first started studying this, I was kind of like, he made her well and healed her of the disease. Isn't that kind of like, did he heal her twice there? Well, that word well there that is used is the same word that's translated throughout the rest of Scripture as saved. And so he's made her whole again. And he says, go in peace. She now has peace with God. So she's made whole. She's given peace with God. And then she's been made well. May you be healed of your disease all of this because she came and she believed in faith. Desperate, she came to Jesus. Her faith wasn't perfect. That should be encouraging to us this morning. When we're like, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know enough. I don't trust enough. I'm not worthy enough. It's okay. She didn't have it figured out. She thought just touching his robe was going to heal her. But it was the one who was wearing the robe. And Jesus invites us but so often we don't go. We don't go and we don't ask and we don't ask in faith and we wonder why he isn't responding, why he isn't helping. But it's because we're not going. We're not believing. We're not believing that he can actually do what it is that we're asking him to do. We believe lots of things with far less reason to put any faith in any of them. Think about flying in an airplane just for a second. I flew with an airline recently who had had a small accident a few months ago. It took a lot of faith to get on that plane. But as we get on a plane, we're kind of just trusting that like whoever was supposed to fill the thing that needed to be filled, filled it and emptied the thing that needed to be emptied and all the things that spin should spin and that all the latches that should be, we just assume that all that's okay. None of us ever show up at the airport and we're like, excuse me, before I get on the plane, I'd like to do a little circle check and kick the tires. That'd be great if you could let me do that. Absolutely not. We wouldn't know what we're looking for, right? Listen, every time that we come up to a challenge in our life, that God, sovereign God, who loves us and is in complete control over all that's going on, and we don't trust him, we're saying to him, by our actions, Lord, I know you've got a plan for me, but I'm just going to do a little circle check around your plan for my life. I'm going to kick the tires and see if you really know what you're doing. Are you kidding me? Sovereign God, creator and sustainer of all things, is in control. We need to trust him. We need to believe in him. Listen, I, for one, am so glad that God is in control. I know that if I'm in control, I'm only going to mess it up more. 
So I'm glad that he's in control. I'm glad that I can trust him. We need to be people who then, in our joy that God is in control, we believe in him, we trust in him, and we rely on him. Point number one is an action point. It's all, we got to do something. We see Jairus, he's this example, we need to ask. He asks, we need to ask. Point numbers two and three, there's only one, one and two more points, okay, if you're thinking we're going to go all day here, right? They're points that teach us something that should stir in our hearts. And this point here about this woman who comes, this woman who Jesus calls daughter, should teach us that Jesus can. And there, that he can. Whatever it is, he can do it. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what that thing that is causing you to be so desperate and longing for help is. I don't know what that thing that causes you so much worry and fear is. But listen, I know because I read it in God's word that he can help you. So often that we sit back and we're like, I just need, I just need a little something from the Lord. I just need, I just need like him to give me a little bit of a sign. He has. He's given us his book. This is why God time, this is why it's, it's something that we care so much about here at our church because we don't just read our Bible so that we can check off some like, okay, I did it now and now God's going to be pleased with me. No, we get in God's word to read stories like this to better understand his character and his power and his ability and how he interacts with our lives that our faith would then just grow more and more in him and our belief would increase to trust him no matter what comes. This woman has been suffering for a very long time. 12 years. Some of you in this room, you've been in an ordeal for longer than that. And the Lord is saying to you today, son, daughter, I got you. I love you. I'm watching over you. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I have a lot of worry and a lot of fear. Listen, you need to get in the word of God. You need to come face to face with the one who is watching over you. You need to have your faith informed and increased by the power of the word of God, by his spirit, and understand his character and his capability more. More that you would understand who it is that is your helper and my helper, and we would believe in him more. Let's keep reading verse 35. While he's still speaking, so Jesus is having this conversation, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he's speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Just pause there. This is a major plot twist. Jairus didn't come for a resurrection. He came for his daughter to be made well. So often we go to Jesus for something, and he's got something totally different he's going to do in our lives. This person who comes, they don't seem to be very sympathetic towards Jairus either. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? No, I'm sorry, Let's get you back to the house. It's kind of just it's like, we got to remove you from this situation, Jairus. you got to come with us. Jesus, though, look at this in verse 36. He's ignoring everything that this person is saying, which is probably a good thing, because I can imagine Jairus, as he hears this, he's standing there, and Jesus is healing this woman, and he's saying, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your daughter is dead and he's looking at Jesus still and this woman with tears of joy running down her face and anger and frustration and sadness and it's too late, you've wrecked everything, just begins to well up inside him. And now look what Jesus says. But overhearing what they said, listen, this is good for us because so often we hear what the world is telling us. Jesus isn't listening to it. 
He isn't listening to it. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. You can almost see Jesus like turning back to Jairus as his head begins to hang and his eyes begin to well up and he's like, Jairus, look up here, look up here, look up here. Do not fear, only believe. Only believe. This brings us to our last point. God is my helper and I must not lose faith. I must not lose faith. It's not over until Jesus says it's over, ever. Verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So at this point, Jesus is kind of like, okay, we're getting rid of everybody who's just coming to see a miracle. It's just me, Jairus, Peter, James, and John. We're going to go on from here. They came to the house of the ruler, verse 38, of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. These are professional mourners that would show up as soon as someone died. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, these people are professionals at this. They have seen lifeless, pulseless bodies before. I love what one author wrote. Real death, though, is separation of the soul from God, not the body from the soul. In this sense, her body was asleep, and Jesus would bring her back to life. But Jairus still doesn't know this yet, so let's keep going. Verse 40, and they laughed at him, and he put them out of the house and took the child's father and mother. So just pause again for a second. So first of all, he's gotten rid of the whole crowd. He's like, just Peter, James, and John, and Jairus, we're going. That's it. Now he gets to the house, and he's like, okay, everybody out. Go. You don't get to stay for this. Goodbye. You're out. He kicks them all out of their house. And they went in where the child was. End of verse 40, verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he says to her, this is in Aramaic. The rest is translated in Greek. Mark records both of these because he wants us to know how important this is. Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was about 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jairus, do not fear. Only believe. It's not over until Jesus says it's over. Here in the quietness of this room where this little girl lays there, Jesus comes along beside her. You can imagine as he kind of goes in and she's lying there on a mat or something, and he comes along and he picks up her little hand and he holds it in his hand. And you can see what he says there. He says, Talitha Kumi, and most translators agree this would be the English equivalent of saying honey. Honey, sweetheart. Do you have a word that you refer to your daughter? You're going to laugh at mine, but I call my daughter squirrel. I asked her yesterday, and I was like, what's the word that I call you that nobody else calls you? And she was like, little squirrel. I was like, yeah. This <laughs> is the Lord comes along here, and he grabs her by the hand. He lifts her hand. Tim Keller wrote this, Jesus' is facing death the great enemy of the human race. And such is his power that he holds this child by the hand and gently lifts her right up through it, through death. Honey, it's time to get up. Jesus is saying by his actions, if I have you by the hand, death itself is nothing but sleep. Are you holding the hand of Jesus? 
There is no place, there is no problem, there is no situation that he can't handle. Listen, all hope was lost for Jairus, but not for Jesus. Do not fear, Jesus says. Only believe. In that moment of desperation, as Craig prayed earlier, in your marriage, in your business, with that loved one, with your housing situation, the relationships in your home, the concerns we have over our children. Jesus is saying to us today, I've got you. I've got you. Do not fear, only believe. Listen, we must not lose faith. Is this hard? Yes, and I don't mean to stand here and sound like an expert at all. You just need to hear that. I struggle with this just like you do. Our situations and our circumstances sometimes seem irreconcilably confusing. But God here is saying to us, listen, my love and my grace are completely compatible with your mess. They can go together. It's hard for us to understand. I heard a preacher say recently that understanding the plan and the will of God is like trying to explain to a two-year-old the complexities of why and when they need to eat and nap. If you've ever tried to feed or put to bed a two-year-old who doesn't want to go to bed or doesn't want to eat, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're like, are you kidding me? I'm not eating food right now. I'm playing. I'm not going to bed. I have tons of energy, and they don't understand. Listen, God loves us far greater than the best, most health-conscious, and most nutritionally sleep-minded parent on earth ever could. This is our God who loves us that much, and he's good. He's good. He loves us, and he sent Jesus to prove his love, to show his love that while we were yet sinners, Jesus dies, that we can have life. This truth needs to be the thing that causes our faith to continue on in those moments of desperation, in those moments of I can't go on, in those moments of I need help, in those moments of I want to give up. The love of Jesus is the thing that should motivate us. The truth of the gospel needs to be what fuels our faith. Now, maybe you're sitting here right now, and you're thinking, you know what? Like, I've asked God to do some stuff, and he hasn't done it. I'm really struggling. Has he come into your life and taken care of your biggest problem, the problem of sin? Because until that's dealt with, that's like trying to put paint on an old house that needs the walls ripped down. And the Lord's coming alongside, and he's like, we got some other stuff we got to fix here. Now, maybe you're here, and you're like, well, my faith is in Jesus Christ. But it still feels like he's delaying Sometimes renovation problems take a while, right? And that's true in our hearts, too. It's not something that's going to be fixed overnight. Sometimes the Lord has to take us on a journey to teach us things. But listen, this is our hope. The hope of these things that we find here in Scripture, in this passage in Mark 5, in Mark 8, or in Romans 8, where we read that for those who love God, all things work together for good. In Psalm 23, I love this, because the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. So what does the next line say? I don't need to want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He watches over me. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and he went with him, the presence of Jesus with Jairus, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is our hope in Jesus, that we're not alone, that he is with us, that he is watching over us. Some of us here this morning, we are desperate today looking over the spiritual lifelessness of a loved one like Jairus was. We need a resurrection. Some of us here this morning 
have been suffering like this woman in a situation. It's been going on and on and on and on and on, and you need a miracle. You're desperate. The answer is Jesus. He is trustworthy. He is dependable. We need to keep our faith and our hope fixed in him. And we can do that because we know that he loves us, because we know that he knows what he's doing, and because we know that, oh, so soon we will see it all so clearly. Because our God who loves us has taken care of us. We must not lose faith. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to be a desperate person. The two most desperate people in this passage were the people who were closest to Jesus, though. This woman and this little girl. And they come alongside. Jesus comes alongside. They get right there close, intimately close. The touch of his robe holding the hand. And all that they need is found in the presence of Jesus. This is the truth for us, too. So we must go to the Lord. We must ask. We must believe. And we must not lose faith. This is what desperate people at the feet of Jesus do. Now, maybe you're thinking, I need to be reminded of this often. In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I want to encourage you not to put away your Bibles or anything like that yet. Because often we kind of rush into this. It's no accident that we're doing this this morning, though, because Jesus has given us these elements that we take together for this purpose, to remind us of his love, to remind us of the love that was poured out for us on this cross, that his body was given and that his blood was shed. So quickly we take the elements, we take them, and we know that they're about the work of Jesus, but do we remember the love that was behind the work? In a moment, I'm going to pray. The um, people, are, the servers are going to come forward, and they're going to hand them out, and the cups are stacked. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, you just need to know God's word says this isn't for you, so you just please let them go by. But if you are, this morning, maybe in a way like you haven't in a long time, think about what Jesus is doing in this moment for us. He's reminding us of his body and his blood that was shed for us that our faith, that our trust, that our dependence in him would be increased. So in those desperate moments, we can hold on to him. I'm going to invite the servers to come forward now, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just confess right now how much we need you, how desperate we are for your help, how incapable of so much we are. We need you. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you have not left us on our own to try and figure out how to do life and how to survive, Lord, but you love us and that you care for us. And you've even given us this, this thing that we do to remind ourselves of your love, that our faith would be strengthened. So Lord, I pray that right now the truth of the gospel and your love poured out for us at the cross would strengthen our faith and our resolve to trust you and to not give up to know that you are watching over us, to believe in you and to have the faith to come to you and ask because we know that you love us. We do this now to remember that. God, get glory right now, please, as our hearts and our minds are turned to you and your love for us. Be worshiped, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.